I'm your host Matt and with me, as always, is my co-host Lorna. Hola! If you, noticed, if you never listened to the podcast before, one of us does a report on a moment, topic, person, event from history. And then the other does and as well. And then the other one does uh, and it <laughs> is linked by a common theme. Mm-hmm. This week, our theme, pioneering women in early cinema. A long one. Uh, maybe just, we'll figure it out. Cinema women. Cinema women. Cinema women. It sounds like saying cinnamon bun. Cinema slightly. women. Bun. I love cinnamon buns. Yeah, they had cinnamon bun day at work the other day. I missed it. They have cinnamon rolls somewhere in Oldham where we need to try. Okay. So good. So. Why did you miss cinnamon bun day in work? I just was off. My day off. Um, so, I'm going to start this week. Mm-hmm. Got a little report for you on a lady named Mabel Normand. Ne- ever heard of Mabel Normand? I feel like I might have done, but I definitely haven't. Okay. She uh, is known as the Queen of Comedy. Mm. Queen of Silent Comedy as well. Oh, when did she around? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you. I'm starting now. She was born in New York City. <laughs> 1892. Is this a New York City accent? Um, New York's like, I'm walking here. New Jersey. That's New Jersey. Coffee. That's New Jersey. No, it's not. It? It's New York as well. Okay. Yeah. You just say New Jersey when you do that accent. New York. Yeah, yeah. New York. So I can't do it. You sound so, like a squeaky bird. You sound like you should be on Rio. I love that film. So, ignoring that. Born in New York in 1892. Why are you so sad? I'm not. I'm listening. I'm ready. So... Born in New York in 1892, Mabel Normand. Normand. At 14, she became an artist's model, posing for a series of pen and ink drawings of idealised femininity. What? Femininity, you heard me. Femin- femininity. <laughs> you said it right and I thought you didn't and I was trying yeah. to correct you but I messed up yes. and immediately realised. <laughs> Um, these drawings became known as Gibson Girls. Ever heard of it? No, I've Neither not. Neither Apparently, it's quite famous. I should have looked it up, but I haven't done. Well, if you're at home, have a goog. Have a give with a goog. Um, then, from there, you're laughing at Is it because I said goog? Have a give with a goog. <laughs> um, it's a Google that for yeah. our new listeners. So, um, from, from this, you know, modest beginning as an artist model, she gets into film. You ever heard of it? Phil. Yeah. I have. Okay, glad we're on the same page. She, uh, her first role, or at least her first notable role, was in D.W. Griffith's Her Awakening, 1911. D.W. Griffith's is uh, one of the first American filmmakers. Big D. name. D.W. Griffith's also made Birth of a Nation, I believe. The original he's, Birth of a Nation. He's a big name, you know. Come, his name gets briefly mentioned in mine. D.W. Griffiths. Yep, D.W. Um, Griffith. And his um, film, as I mentioned, Birth of a Nation, has been much... Um, I don't like that film. Contra- very controversial. I really don't like that film. Um, so anyway, this is not that film, that is a different film. Yeah, we're not even talking about D.W. Griffith. Well, we are, because D.W. <laughs> Griffiths Griffith gave um, Isle Gal, Mabel Normand... A star. A star. In showbiz, I'm gonna be a star. <laughs> Her awakening. Sorry for that. If that was your loud, your loud. If that was your loud in your ear. Um, oh, well, anyway, I'm not gonna pass the first paragraph yet. 1911. Okay. That was. So, 
this film, D.W. Griffith's Her Awakening, <laughs> brought Mabel to the attention of Max Sennett. Ooh. What a name. I think it feels Senate. like that name is like Mac and Sennett don't feel like real names to me. I thought you said Max. I like it even no, more Mac. now. Mac. I feel like it should be like Jack Bennett. Jack Bennett, but it's Max Sennett. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you mean. So Max Sennett, he was a director. And the two linked up. By linked up, what do you mean? Like so, networking, yeah, passed on CDs? Yeah. Or so he saw her, saw her on film, added her on LinkedIn, slipped into the LinkedIn DMs. Slid into the LinkedIn DMs, wow. And Mabel went, all right. And the two of them relocated to California. And you sure they're just networking at this point? So there are rumours of them being a couple as well. I didn't look into it, but I, I don't know if that's well known that they were a couple. But yeah, they, they linked okay. up. And together they founded Keystone Pictures Studio. Hmm. California. She's going to become a star. Norman did not have any formal theatrical background or training. Senate. Saw this as key to big stream. Big stream. Big, carry on. Big stream, big screen, success. <laughs> you should have just said big screen. Um, whilst uh, he felt that like trained, and this is, people think this, that trained actors tended to be stiff at that time. Mm. Mabel had a looseness to her. She was quite yeah, loose. Yeah, also probably like a yes person. What? If they ask her to do something, she's like, yes. Because she didn't she'll know in her training not, not to do things or yeah, whatever. Yeah, she'll give it a go. And she was loose when in front of the camera. She was also funny and inventive. When I was younger, my mum was always like, Lorna, you're so wooden. When you're dancing, you're so wooden. That's, that's... Wow, this is brought up some trauma from yeah. Lorna's past. <laughs> she was always like, you need to be more loose. loose. Yeah, she was yeah. like, you're so wooden. Well, Ma- Mabel, unlike Wasn't... you, was loose. She, she was also funny wooden. and inventive. Well, <laughs> unlike just, me. Just like hey? you. Um, and... She later said that she had no precedent, nothing to imitate, and I had to cleave a new path to laughter. Which is really interesting because this was right, basically at the beginning, sort of, film had come in sort of the very late 19th century, and now the early, about the early 20th century, the start of a new age Mm. of art. Uh, Cinema was very young. So in 1912, that same year, she made Tomboy Bessie, a film. And in that film, Norman broke the fourth wall. Do you know what that is? Yes, when you talk directly. Yeah, you may know it um, from... Most recently from Deadpool. I was going to say Deadpool. Deadpool's quite a um, Woody film. Allen does it as well in... Um, in numerous films, I Annie think. Annie Hall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she broke the fourth wall, confided directly in the audience, and that became her trademark, that, that technique. You know who else does it? Miranda. Oh, does she's she? probably been inspired by me because she's a comedian. Uh, Not that funny though. But oh wow, brutal takedown of Miranda. No, if you Miranda, like, if you're listening, apologies. No, she's sometimes funny, but so also sometimes not. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. I also <laughs> Don't think feel my so... age might have yeah. come into this. My mum might find her hilarious. Okay, so anyway. We talk about Mabel, not sorry, Miranda. Sorry, Miranda. The next year, Mabel. Mabel also had the idea of throwing a custard pie. Oh, what a gem of an idea. We all know this is a comedy trope and this is where it was invented. This is where it came from. Wow. The impact of this moment. 1913. Yeah. Oh, 19, yeah, 1913. So um, this impact was huge. The impact of this 
pie, not just on the face, but on the business. Wow, man, that's good ad living. So, and throwing baked goods became a keystone speciality. You know what else? It's like a CBBC speciality as well. Well, since, but it was at yeah, the like, time. Yeah, like, I think they do it in Dick and Dom the Bungalow and all sorts. <laughs> You're chucking out some very British references. Sorry, like, very... I imagine they do it on iCarly. There you go. <laughs> It looked to me like, that pleases the world. I can't be well known across the world. Um, <laughs> Nickelodeon, what more do you want? <laughs> um, so it was so key, in fact, to Keystone's success yep. that ballistic field tarts were developed specifically for the perfect splurge. <laughs> <laughs> what a sentence. Um, Mabel was also willing to go the extra mile. Yeah, I love that I love about that. her. She would throw herself about on camera, committing fully to her stunts. Her slapstick persona became known as Madcap Mabel. Did she wear a hat? No. Oh. Madcap, just like off the cuff, crazy. Oh, I didn't know what I thought it was. So there, this is what she, oh Mary Pickford, who was an actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what she said about her. There was no cliff so high that Mabel was afraid of it. Um, no bucking bronco too wild for her to ride. As for dodging Keystone Pies, there was no one ever on the screen who could do who could do it more gracefully and with as much poise as Mabel. Big she praise. Very talented. Like it's quite tough a bucking bronco. Yeah, this I've is done a, it a few times, and I want to go back on one. <laughs> metaphor, but okay. Um, <laughs> Mabel was a pioneer. That's what we're here for. Yep. She played the damsel in distress role in such films as Race for Life in 1913, where she also became the first girl to be tied to railroad tracks. No, no, not for me. What? Not true? I wouldn't want to be tied to oh, railroad right. tracks. Oh, right. Well, it's in a film, so... Still, I thought you meant, no, this is not true. But apparently it is. Apparently the first person to be... Or first damsel in distress to be tied to railroad tracks. She also flipped the stereotype on its head. So by she's good, rescuing uh, frequently the leading man instead. Uh, and she was one of a kind spoofing serials and turning them into comedy. Mabel's dramatic career and Mabel's new hero. The films, by the way. Mm-hmm. And notice anything about them? They both say Mabel. Yes. And she was one of the first actors to have their own name in the title of a film. She's just good, isn't she? She also directed many of her films too. Um... It's been said that in the lawless land of early cinema, there was not really many rules, like, cemented. So people moved around between roles quite easily. So she would be director, she would Oh, I like that, actress. though. That's like if you get a grad scheme and you do, like, a, a part of it in different <laughs> departments. It is, yeah, I suppose. You get a well-rounded view of how a film works. I think this also sort of happens in very low-budget independent cinema, when you're just making it with your friends... You'll make it and you'll be the director. You'll also have a role in the film. You'll be a writer, you'll be producing, you'll do the lighting. You do. You just got your finger in all the pies. Yeah, you'll have to because of All the budget. custard pies, eh? Hey, good link. Um, so it's unclear how many films people directed because they didn't really take note of it often, like properly. Uh. And like sometimes it'd say like her and Max Sennett directed this film. But then on the new release of it later on, I'm not quite sure how it worked, but they seem to release films again and again. It might be just like her name, and it might just be someone else's name. So it's quite unclear who directed what in, in early cinema. Oh. But she definitely directed some of her films, or many of her films. In September 1913, Keystone signed a new star. 
Have you heard of a man? Twenty-four years of age, age (laughs) at the time, out of his depth. Uh, Was unaware why the scenes were shot out of order in a film. Am I supposed to guess who this is? Yes. Am I supposed to guess it from that? Well, this is clues. I'm just giving you. Can you give me any other clues? Um, Where was he from? Uh, I'm not. I can't remember. Okay. Famous. Think of famous people, actors from early cinema. Yeah, but just... Just give us the most famous one, perhaps. Can you describe them? It's a man. It's a man. Did he act on his own? He wasn't in a double act? No. It's not Laurel and Hardy. It's not Laurel and Hardy. It is... You've not not described him to me. How tall is he? I don't know. What does he look like? Right, so do, do you know any... What early cinema... Slapstick know. comedians, do you know? Um, Laurel and Hardy. Right, that's not the Charlie one. Charlie Chaplin. It's Charlie Chaplin. Well done, you've nailed it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you could have described him. You could have said small. I know, Where's but I didn't want to give it to you. With a moustache. That's one of his characters. That's the Tramp, and we'll get on to that. Good. But I would have got that from that. So at the time, 9.13, he was 24 years of age. Mm-hmm. Age. Why do you keep saying it like that? I meant to say old, because that's what I've written, but I keep saying age. <laughs> He's out of his depth and he did not understand why scenes were shot out of order. And he came into the business. And at this time, Norman was four years younger than Chaplin. So she's... 19. 20. I also thought 19. My I don't know why. not great. Um, but at this point, she'd been in over 100 films Ooh. in a year and a bit. Oh my gosh. No, but they're all shot, like, they're not all the same shorts, blend. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she became Chaplin's mentor. She directed him in many movies, beginning with Mabel's Strange Predicament of 1914, which was the screen debut of Charlie Chaplin's Tramp character. Oh, that's cool. Uh, which, obviously, he used later on and on and on uh, in famous other roles. Um, though Chaplin later claimed he had no idea of the character until he actually put on the costume, Norman recalled evenings spent together planning little mannerisms such as the queer, shuffling little walk of an old costermonger he once saw in Whitechapel. It's a quote. Interesting how he's like, no he idea. Was like, no, I, just, was I like, put it on and I became the character. But it was, she was like, yeah, we, we were planning it. Others have gone further. Film historian Raymond Lee said that Chaplin owes Norman his greatest debt. A study of her films made before Chaplin came to the country shows entire routines, gestures, reactions, expressions... That were later a part of Chaplin's characteristics. So he's oh, saying that's so rude that he stole all her ideas and then he's know. like this famous guy and she's I think forgotten. He found a lot of inspiration in in her work. Chaplin would jump ship to a, la- uh, a different studio later on in the year or a year later, sorry, for one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars or nine hundred sixty-five pound a week. What Which he is, is making a fortune. Crazy money at the time. Still crazy money now. I'd love to have yeah. that. Um, Norman stayed at Keystone for $175 Still a, a week. lot. A week. Still a lot for me, that. But at he, the time. He's earning 10 times more. Pretty much. Yeah. No, a bit under, Matt. Yeah, just under, but... No, quite a bit. 500 under. No. Yeah, 500 under. Okay. Nine and a bit times. <laughs> so, um, Fatty Arbuckle... Heard Not of him? a good name. Have you heard of him? No. So this is quite an interesting story. We'll get onto in a sec. But um, he became Mabel's leading man, new leading man. Um, 
and Normand and uh, Max Senate actually split briefly in 1916, their uh, partnership. Mm-hmm. And when they reconciled, they founded the Mabel Normand Feature Film Company, making her one of the first women to have her name above a studio. Ooh. This uh, company would only make one film, it's called Mickey, but that film was the highest grossing picture of 1918, and Normand considered it her best work. How come they didn't make any other films? They had lots of issues. Right. Um... And that was actually, in many ways, the peak for Mabel, unfortunately, that film um, and that time. Her huge rise to stardom was followed by a steep fall. Mm. She moved to Goldwyn, uh, you might know as Goldwyn yes, Mayer, the lion. MGM, um, but suffered frequent bouts of illness. What illness? Um, the terrible sickness. I think it was actually um, the start of TB, maybe. Aww. That's a shame. I think. I'm just going to check. Uh... Yeah, T- she died of TB later on. Okay. Um, so she was ill. Uh, and then her leading man, Arbuckle, was accused of the rape and murder of Costa Virginia Rapp. Oh, gosh. Um, which is actually a big... I've, it's things I've come across in the past with this case, but it's, it's never been one that I've written down as a topic. Yeah. Because he was a big star as well at the time, uh, Arbuckle. Uh, and so that was a huge thing. And yeah. that sort of was not good for um, Mabel or the business uh, and her films because he was her lead man. And the next year, Norman herself became embroiled in the yet unsolved murder of director and close friend, Wesmond... No. William Desmond Taylor. As if you messed up his name. <laughs> Wesmond. You, you're talking about his death. Stop laughing. Um, no, he was murdered. Um, and I think we still don't know who did it. And she There's was loads of murders in, in Hollywood. Yeah, I've got a book on it. So the tabloids hinted that Mabel was a dope fiend and that Desmond was killed by her dealer. Really? So that was tabloid chatter at the time so that's obviously dragging a name through the mud as well and then on new year's day in 1924 uh, mabel's chauffeur shot a denver oil baron with norman's gun so obviously again not something that she's done but something closer with her gun so she's just getting dragged into all of this um and that like intermittently throughout this as well there's persistent stories of drug use and alcoholism mixed in so it's been not great That's such a shame and i've read also i read this article about how even since her death there's been so much focus on this gossip surrounding her and her private life um like i said you talked about them being in a relationship like them having like a relationship and maybe like a baby or whatever I can't remember what it was exactly, but, but the all this gossip, rather than, rather than the, the successes that she had. Um, Normand and Arbuckle's films were pulled from distribution. Right, good on the part of Arbuckle, but I'm not sure about... No, no, it's not her choice. Mabel, because she... Oh, good, because of her... All oh, right, okay. Yeah. Right, okay. Arbuckle was acquitted after a third trial, but his career never recovered. Oh, a quit third trial, though. Mm. So that's another. So he must big... have appealed it. Yeah, so I don't know Thanks. the whole story with that, but that's a big mm. uh, topic as well. 
which we're just touching the edges of. Um, with the support of Senate and uh, Pickford, the woman we spoke of earlier, the actress, uh, Norman gradually made her return to pictures. She made a string of films at Hal Roach Studios. Oh, I've heard of that. Not a good name. I don't like it, Roach. However, she was uh, now in many ways a remnant of cinema gone by. Hmm. Um, so this is what she said before she died of TB. In 1930, age 37. Oh my gosh, so young. She said, the day of the rough and tumble and slapstick seems to have passed. Uh, Charlie Chaplin, D.W. Griffiths, they were pallbearers, along with Lewis B. Mayer, Samuel Goldwyn and Douglas Fairbanks. Obviously, Mayer and Goldwyn uh, from MGM. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure who Douglas Fairbanks is, but I think he's another big film guy. Um... So, she also said, if I'm lucky, I hope again to make the world laugh as I once did. And that's something she said also before she died. Um, Mm. And good timing, this uh, podcast. Because if you live in the UK, you uh, will be lucky enough to have access to Comedy Genius, which is a BFI uh, season. The British Film Institute put on a season, um, sort of speaking about her, talking about her. So you can... um, at the BFI South Bank in London, you can go and see films and stuff. Uh, and also online, you can see it on the BFI player and across the UK panel. So that's from the 22nd oh. of October this year, 2018, to the 31st of January next year, 2019. So you've got a couple of months if you listen to this that a bit late. Cool. You can still catch some of Mabel's films and learn more about Mabel Normand. That's my report on. Very good, but a sad story. Another sad one. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. What is uh is your report on today? Report. Is it sad? Or is it uh, jolly? We had some sad, fun. Not as sad as yours. We had some fun before the before the before <laughs> the decline. Um, mine is on Alice Guy Blatch. Is that how you say that, Matthew? I don't know. I, I was going to ask you. I'm not sure. Uh, that's what I'm guessing. Okay. I'm guessing Blatch. Um. So she was born first of July, eighteen seventy three. Uh, from 1896 to 1906, Alice was probably the only female film director in the world. Right, because it's very early. This is even earlier than our girl Mabel's yes, only just been you, born. you've heard of Alice, haven't you? Um, yeah, but I don't really know anything about her. Okay. Um, so before American fi- filmmakers like D.W. Griffith... Oh, what? Um, ...had even touched a motion picture camera... Um, Alice was um, a Paris-born pioneer, and what she does that was make her? Um, Parisian. Parisian. There we go. She was laying the groundwork for narrative films, visual language, and she was also inspiring Hitchcock. 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 <laughs> Just Hitchcock. Double barrel Hitchcock. And I couldn't say it the first time. Ah. Um, obviously, he weren't looking at her films at the time, no. but he was later a bit inspired later, yeah. by her. So she was born in uh, France in 1873 and educated in convent schools. At the age of 21, in 1894, she got a job as a secretary for a photography company run by Leon Gaumont. Have you heard of him? I don't think so, no. Okay. He's quite a big dog, I think. Uh, When age 22, Alice attended the first demonstration of a projected film by Auguste and Louis Lumiere. Yeah, the Lumiere brothers. Yeah, so they okay. they did a screening there. Big names in cinema, I think, in creating some of the first films. Yeah, what was the first names? August. August and Louis. Mm, okay. Lumiere. 
Why did you think they were called different things? Who's George Lumiere? I don't know, but these are definitely the Lumiere brothers. Okay. Um, she was so inspired from watching the Lumiere brothers yeah. film that Is she. Hmm? Which on. was this the? What did she watch? So I don't know. Sorry. Okay. She just went to the cinema and watched it. Okay. So she was so inspired that she came back and asked her boss, Galmont, um, if she could use the shop's cameras to make a movie of her own. Galmont was an inventor, engineer, industrialist and pioneer of the motion picture industry. So, But at the time, he owned a camera photography business. Oh, right, okay. Um, he agreed to let her use the cameras and she created her first film in 1896. At the time, movies usually consisted of shots of... Um, a, a crowd leaving a factory yeah. um, or a moving train which you've seen haven't you yeah so the um they tended to they were sort of the two main pioneers i can't remember i know it's the lumiere brothers and someone else melia melia um and one of them was a lot about realism so they would put the camera down and you know um like you said next to a factory or next to a train that's coming in and they just film people it was like a st- st- stuck camera, steady camera, and um, yeah, they just film people walking, and that was interesting. It seems so weird that that's the film though, because there's no story there. No, You're literally but just was, watching people. But, but obviously, it's fascinating for the time. Yeah. So I've written that it's just like a curiosity. Yeah, and at the but other there end was of no it, more. There's no more depth to it. The other end of it um, was the like, um, is it? What's it called? I need to look for the name. The um like the moon with the rocket in the eye, you know oh, that yeah, yeah. that sort of um very inventive like very colourful as well a lot of times yeah but that, they coloured on the film didn't yeah, they, they did, rather yeah. than yeah they were filming in colour yeah they coloured onto it so they had like a stage kind of set up so they were the two sort of ends of it like the imagination and the realism sort of ends of, yeah of it at the time well Alice went for imagination right. So um, she wrote a script and directed her first narrative film, which was called La Fille au Cho, um, translates as The Cabbage Fairy. Hmm. Um, and she filmed it on Galmont property. It's thought to have been the first film to tell a fictional story. All oh, right, so maybe, So she's okay. in the, the side where... So Matt was describing a, a film where there's like a, a big moon. Yeah, it's, it's, like a, it's, a, a it's filmed on like a set. And then they, um, there's like a big moon and yeah. stuff. So it's very imaginative. I think he's called Georges Melier, but I can't remember. So Alice was along them lines, and it was thought that... Um, there you go, Georges Melier. I'm not sure how you pronounce his second name. He was big into... Uh, yeah, so he was born in 1861, so probably just a little bit before. Um, the Voyage to the, the Moon. Oh, The Voice of the Moon was filmed 1902. in 1902, though, so Alice's film Just came before, first. Right. So she filmed this story of um, cabbage fairies. Right. Um, it was, so it was a, a story about fairy growing babies in a cabbage patch, which I okay. love. That's so cute. Um, so that was the first film that was ever filmed to tell us a fictional story. Um, after that first film, she directed and produced or supervised almost 600 silent films, wow. which ranged in length from one minute to 30 minutes, um, and the majority of which were a single real length, which is why before when you were saying that Mabel filmed over 100, yeah. some could have been five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Were, there are, yeah. yeah, it's not, it weren't like films as we know today. Yeah. 
Um, in addition, Alice also directed and produced or supervised 150 synchronised sound films for the Gaumont Chronophone. So that's their company. So she also right. produced... Um, I don't really know what a synchronised sound film is, but she works on them. Nah, a film with sound, but... Probably. But it wouldn't have been... No, but it wouldn't have been until like the 20s. I don't know. Maybe it's with music or something. Well, she carried on working. She This was in, in the early 1900s now. So she wasn't just 1896. Um, she became the head of production for Galmont's film studio, which grew out of his still photography business. Um, and then she made longer films and started using special effects such as hand tinting and double exposure. So hand tinting, I'm assuming, is the colours. Yeah. So they, yeah. they get a film and they like colour it in by hand. Uh, she was also one of the first to employ groundbreaking techniques like the split screen, double exposure and film tied to sound. So as I've mentioned synchronised sound films. Yeah. She's also been credited with inventing the close-up, um, an honour which has popularly been bestowed on Griffith, but this is inaccurate. Alice did it first. What, the close-up? Yeah. Right. Um, at Galmont, her biggest picture was The Life of Christ, which was shot in 1906. Wow. This period film was a 30-minute extravaganza that featured 25 sets as well as numerous exterior locations and over 300 extras. Wow. Which That's is a huge. lot of people. Yeah. Um, in 1907, she married Herbert Blatch. Um, he was a cameraman with Galmont and um, she resigned from the company. Uh, the company, Herbert also worked for the company, so the company sent him to the United States to promote Galmont's synchronised audio and film system and to head up the US branch. Alice went with him, and in 2010 she set up her own 2010. film. 2010? I know it's 1910. On, um, one that I... Um, I do this every time, I don't know why I can't, I can't do it my was dates. a couple of weeks ago as well, you said 2010. I, know, I, I do like, it all yeah. the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I just can't get my dates right. In 1910, oh. she set up her own film studio based in Flushing, Queens, and this was called the Solats Company. This um, She managed to use the building and the location of a failed venture of Galmont's company. Oh, right. So Galmont wanted to set up this base in Flushing, but they didn't do very well, so Alice managed to use it to set up her own company cool. called Solax Company. Solax made many successful films that Alice was able to to build a state-of-the-art film production studio in Fortley. So she did really well in Solax yeah. and then went on to build a film production studio. Um, Fortley's in New Jersey, and this is a town that essentially functioned as Hollywood before yeah. movies moved west. Yeah. So she's she's at the start before, of Hollywood. Before Hollywood became Hollywood. Yep. Hollywoodland. <laughs> uh, Solax, Alice, continued her work as director... Um, and she completed movies at the rate of up to three a week. Quick, then it? Rapid. I love that. Um, it was here that she hung a sign on the wall instructing her actors to be natural, which is probably links to Mabel. Yeah, be a bit loose. Yeah. Stop me so wooden. Yes. <laughs> um, the Solats Company jump-started the careers of several actors and made stars out of performers such as Darwin Carr and Blanche Cornwell. No, I haven't. It listed them. a lot of films that they yeah. were in, but I didn't put it in. Yeah. But apparently big names. Um, Alice also made numerous action films with female characters as heroes, many of them starring Vinnie Burns, which is quite nice. Yeah. Female heroes. Very um, 
forward thinking before yeah. the time. And also forward thinking was that the Solax films, which are quite notable today, are the ones of um, that Alice directed of comedies where there was cross-dressing. Right. Yeah, so that's quite modern for the yeah, time. Yeah, it was 100, over 100 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. The Solax company provided a rich growth and learning environment for set designers as well. So there's some um, big ones who came from Paris with Alice, and they're quite big names. So one's Ben Carr and one's Henry Menacier. Okay. Big big name set designers apparently. I don't right. I don't really know much about I don't set, know design set designers. Myself. Um in nineteen thirteen she made her husband, who was still working for Galmont, she made him the president of Solax so she could do more hands on movie making. And at this time Herbert also started his own film studio and named Alice as vice president. Oh, that's cute. I love a bit of nepotism. Um, it's like nice nepotism, isn't it? Yeah, but then um, Alice and Herbert's marriage began to get a bit rocky. Um, The movie industry was moving west to California, and in 1918, Herbert left Alice and the children to move with it. Right. Which is a shame. It is a shame. Rude. Um, Alice's studio went into bankruptcy, and it was sold off, which I imagine is a result of movies moving west. Yeah, 100%, yeah. Yeah, so Alice actually made her last movie in 1920. Oh. And she moved back to France with the children in 1922. Hmm. So that's the end of filmmaking for Alice. Oh, it's sad that that has to be the end of it I for know. her, that she couldn't carry on. I know, but she's already left the Garmont company and then she's broke yeah. up with her husband, so it's just that's how it was. But she had a successful business for a while, so... Yeah. Um, in the 1940s, she discovered that the first histories of the film industry, even of the Garmont studio, were being written without mentioning her. That's surprising. Which is a shame. Um, yeah. So she started giving public talks about her work and wrote her memoirs, but recognition was still slow in coming in. Mm-hmm. So um, she was quite. She had a prolific output and she was very artistic and innovative, but um, her contribution was largely ignored because of Galmont's ego. Right, so, so he, was, he was getting a lot of the... the um, Praise. Yeah, so in, in 1930, he'd published a book detailing the history of his company and its innovations, and he left out Alice's contribution completely. Oh. So he must have claimed that for his own, which is horrible. So were they not, no longer, like when he when she left the company, were they no longer friends? Was it sort of. I think they were, because. Um, Herbert still worked there. Herbert still worked there, and also she spoke to Galmont and said, You haven't written me into this story. Oh, right, okay. And he said that. Um, he called it like a grievous omission and was like, oh, sorry, um, you will be included in future printing. Um, that's not the case. Oh. She will continue to be left out. Right. Which is why nobody really knows that much about her today. Yeah. Um, Alice moved back to the United States permanently in the 1960s to live with her daughter. Uh, she died in 1968 at the age of 94. What an innings. Um, she's buried in Mary Crest Cemetery in Mawa, New Jersey. New Jersey. So she moved back to New Jersey where yeah. she was making them films. Yeah, but a long, a long life. Yeah. Only about 140. Another account said 350, so I'm not sure. Okay. Um, also, of the more than 1,000 films she wrote, directed, or produced, survived. So there's different records because I read one that said she directed 750 films, like she yeah. made 750 films, but this this one said 1,000. Really. And also they're all over the place, and if they're shorts, like they're, yeah, it's difficult. So a couple of hundred, we'll say, still exists. Yes. 
Um, but a lot of them are only in fragments, which is a shame. Yeah. You can't really watch them. Um, in 19... Nope. In 2004, <laughs> a historic marker for her was placed at the site of the Solex studio in Fort Lee. That's good. That's which is nice. nice. commemoration, yeah. isn't it? Um, and bringing it back to the present, there is a documentary on Alice at the London Film Festival, um, which is called Be Natural, The Untold Story of Alice Guy Blatch. Ah, Be Natural. So her work is currently being rediscovered and she continues to be an influence in modern cinema. So the woman who's responsible for this documentary is a first-time director. It's the first oh, film she's she? ever made. And she's I think she's called Pamela or Paula Green, but that could be totally made up. Okay. Um, she's... P. Green? Yeah. Mrs. Green. Um, she's... This is her first film and she wanted to do an in-depth study of right. Alice. So that's at the London Film Festival, which is... Happening now, if you're listening. When this is released, yes. This released on the Wednesday, it is... Yeah, um, happening right now. I'm not sure what days. You might still be able to get tickets, but I'm not sure. If you're listening to this before... The 21st of October, there's, a, there's still tickets at the moment, on when we're recording this on the 6th of October, for um, the Sunday, the 21st of October, screening at 12.30. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just about highlighting oh, the role of the... narrated by Jodie Foster as well. Yeah. That's interesting. Of the first female filmmaker. Yeah. Oh, we could have seen that. But that's my report Wonderful. on Alice. So I'm sure you'll be able to catch that at some point anyway, later on in the, in the mm-hmm. year. I'm not sure if what else she did with the life, I don't know. No, what happened after that? Is, I don't uh, know. It's but, uh, maybe that film will tell us a bit more. Yeah, it's quite tough because a lot of the things just go into a film, the yeah, parts of a yeah. film life. Maybe she lived quite a regular private life after that. Is. Maybe. A lot of us do. So that's been our two little reports on two pioneering uh, filmmakers. Um, quite different filmmakers as well, I've... I didn't really. Well, yours, she seemed to make sort of quite imaginative. Um, I don't know. It's two different paths. I feel like. I feel like Mabel was um, sort of the slapstick comedy aspect. Yeah. Um, Mabel was the star. Yeah, true. But Alice she was, was the, the director. director. Right. Um, so if you enjoy the podcast, give us a little review on mm-hmm. Podbean or on Apple Podcasts, whatever you listen to us on. Get in contact with us. Tell us more uh, if you know any other um, early filmmakers, early female filmmakers yes. you, you think we should know Do, about. No, there were quite a few when yeah. I was having a look. Yeah. You uh, you can contact us. Send us a, an email on the Gmail at idiothistorypod at gmail.com. Or send us a message on Twitter at Idiot History Pod. Search for us on Facebook and Instagram, Idiots oh, Talk, Talk History. History. Instagram, <laughs> Idiots Talk History. Yes. It's not Instagram. <laughs> I was doing fine and you started talking, you threw me off. <laughs> Idiots Talk History. Uh, and you can also find that personal Twitter if you want to spam us. Um, thanks for listening. Leave us a review if possible. And we will speak to you next week. Yes, bye. Bye. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao, Ben. Ciao, Fran. Ciao, Bella.